Hey, hello, everybody. I want to welcome a really special and interesting guy today. His name is Dr. Fred Blum, and we're going to talk about something very interesting. I've been very, very interested all my life as a high-level athlete in sports psychology and how to get to the next level and what it takes to do that. And I've worked with lots of people to do that in my lifetime, from hypnosis to sports psychologists to vision board work, long before any of this stuff was really popular. So I met this guy, he's a very interesting guy, again, Dr. Fred Blum, at a get-together one day, and we just got to talking, and next thing I know, he was using some of his own, and I think relatively unique techniques with elite-level athletes himself. So I wanted to get him on the show here, talk to him about what he does and why it's different from the more traditional approaches, and and see where this takes us, see what uh, this is all about. Before I go any further here, Doctor, I want to welcome you, and thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be here. Hey, it's my pleasure, and I think everyone's going to love it. So here's the backdrop, folks. I met uh, the good doctor. We just found we had a great deal in common, and one of those things was high-level athletic performance. Used to working in this space with sports psychologists, but the doctor here had a sort of new and different approach. Here's the basic takeaway. What if you could perform at the highest levels, or at any level, whatever level you perform at, in the same feeling of joy you get? When you've won the gold medal at the Olympics, when you've won the gold medal at NC2As, when you've won the ultra race in third place. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter so much what the position is. That's up to you. The whole idea here, he has a way and a technique of getting you to perform in the actual event while you're competing and maybe even in training. We'll get into that too. Is there a difference between this mental headspace that you're in when you're training as well as when you're competing? What if you could train and compete inside that same high that you get when you just scored that goal, when you just caught that touchdown, that feeling of euphoria and completion and joy. What if you could feel that all the time during your trainer? Doctor, do I have that correct? I I think that's actually a really great way to describe it, Craig. I don't know that we need to set the bar at 100% of the time right off the bat, but I think that that's something that we could begin to strive for is that sense of peace and happy and happiness, clarity, you use euphoria as a state of being, not the high excitement celebration all the time, but the state like of peace and clarity. Those are the terms I like to use. Fascinating. I think this is a fascinating idea because as a former high level athlete, my whole MO, and the doctor and I have talked about this in the past already, so we sort of know where we're going with this, but my whole MO is that you cannot know that joy because every goal you score Every touchdown you catch, every medal you win, everything you do is going toward that moment. You can't have that moment until you achieve that moment. So I'm fascinated at how you backward integrate and take that moment when you have that achievement can then find a way to integrate that backwards so that you always have it. Doctor, walk me through it. Well, one of the things I want to acknowledge right away, although I've been you know, an athlete my whole life, mainly as a martial artist. I wasn't like super high level competitive. It was just something that I've trained and honestly trained very hard for many, many years now, better part of 40 years. So I understand hard training, although not at the elite world-class level that, you know, you, Craig, and a lot of the people probably listening to this podcast are familiar with. And so I want to acknowledge that because in speaking to you uh, multiple times over the past few months, I want to, you know, really acknowledge that I realize that sometimes when we are, like when the goal of winning, you know, whatever the event may be, is so, so important to us, the the basic distinction that I'm looking to create here as we go on is narrow focus versus open focus. When we're in that goal-directed activity, 
our focus is narrow. We're, we're really directing our intention towards one thing. At other points in life, when that goal is not the thing, we can then open our focus. What I'm talking about here essentially, listen, you guys have all, you guys know the term, it's in the research, it's all over the place, called flow states, essentially. How can we be in that state of flow, of almost effortlessness, where we're either moving towards a goal in that narrow focus state and still remain in that flow state, you know, we've achieved the goal. Like when you talk about that euphoria, after you've achieved whatever the goal is, you've placed high, you've scored the goal in hockey or whatever it is. To me, I have a, a mentor that described that very well, at least to my understanding. He says the moment when, for example, the hockey player scores a goal, what they're experiencing in that moment is a moment of not seeking. But up until that moment, it's been seeking, 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 trying to get something, trying to achieve or accomplish something. And then the moment that, that, that the goal has been achieved, the interesting paradox here is that it looks like the celebration, the euphoria, is about the achievement of the goal. Now, from the perspective of what I call the ego, and we can talk a lot about what I mean by the ego versus what I would call the true self or true nature. From the perspective of the ego, the celebration is about the goal being achieved. But there's another perspective that I want to introduce here, which is the perspective of true nature, where for that moment that the, after the goal has been achieved, for a moment we've stopped seeking. And the ego, the very nature of the ego, is to seek. So it's very important that we understand this. From the perspective of your ego, you will always be seeking something outside of yourself to achieve what will look like happiness or fulfillment or peace, even just to feel okay or worthwhile. This is what people do all day long in the world is they seek to achieve something outside of themselves in order to feel okay in here. It sounds what you've described to me, and I, again, I, you're the expert here, but it sounds to me like what you've described is a philosophy for everyday life. Now, this is nuanced, and this is a much deeper discussion than we could possibly get into today. But just staying on the surface here, it sounds like what you've described is a sort of a, a daily philosophy. How do I seek something outside of myself? How do I feel better? How do I get over there when I want to get away from here? In sports, though, it's just an A-B relationship. That's it. Right. There, there is none of that in sports. There's just you're contained when it's sports. So taking hockey as an example, because I grew up playing that in New England. And I think it's a great example that you give uh, citing hockey, because that's a sport where even as a kid, when I saw these men, these tough, strong men who beat each other up on the ice, having these huge euphoric moments after they'd score a goal, the whole team would surround the guy and hug him. I never saw affection like that in sports as a young kid. It, I can still look back at that and think, when I first saw it for the first time, wow, I almost don't even understand this time of love and affection and euphoria, five men hugging each other on the ice after a goal. I mean, is it that exciting? Well, it turns out it is because the work is so hard. That's the A-B thing I'm talking about. So the A is all of the work, very linear, work, 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 euphoria, work, 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 euphoria. So that euphoria then naturally wears down back to A. It's a, it's a, it's a cycle of A-B. So inside of sports, I don't see any way around that. Outside of sports, the way I think that I'm hearing you describe it makes total sense to me because everybody 
many, many people anyway, are seeking to find a better way to find greater happiness, to find a pure sense of purpose, whatever that is, the essence of being every single day, many, many people. So I get this outside of sports. I've not been able to find a way into it in sports because sports is so demanding. Do the work, score the goal, you know, and then you do have that huge, that huge joy uh, for want of an even better way to put it. Euphoria is what I've been using. Then it's right back to A. So where's the difference here? How do I get that as an athlete all the time? Well, that's just it. And honestly, it's a jump here. And it's a leap of faith in a sense, but I'm not asking you to really like, this is a try before you buy kind of philosophy. So to some extent, you have to be willing because having spoken to you at some length, Craig, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of high level competitive athletes, they're very, very used to the kind of AB relationship that you've been describing. Some people, I can't you know, decide that for you or anyone, may not even be open-minded to say, I'm willing to consider another perspective. But that is what I'm suggesting here. I think most that, athletes would. I love yeah. it. I'm completely open to this idea of being an old schooler. I've got an evolving mind. I keep it that way because things change. You know, the yeah. world evolves. Science changes things. All kinds of new techniques come forward and you've got to be open-minded to that stuff because that's what everyone else is doing. If you're not on the train, you're off the train. I'm not at all, as I say, by any means dismissing this. In fact, I'm embracing it. I just can't find the door, the doorway in. And that's what I'm looking for here. Well, I would suggest that the doorway might actually start in daily life. Because right now, the idea of going right into like what I'm describing might feel like almost risky in terms of, well, what if this doesn't work and I, you know, I don't have the edge that I'm, you know, I'm used to or that I need in order to compete at that level. We can apply this, these understandings, and we haven't gotten too deep into really what it means yet, but we could begin to apply this understanding a little more in daily life, just in, in the moments when the pressure isn't quite so intense. So you can create sort of a practice ground for this and transition exactly. it into sports. Exactly. I see. And you know, I, I heard you say a moment ago, like, let's keep this at sports. While I'll do the best I can with that, I want to acknowledge that for me, this, this is about life. Because it is about being able to, at some level, turn this okay. off. Okay. I love that. Okay. I, I accept that. That's good. I think that's a good point. I don't want to create an, a narrow frame here. Just so everyone understands and you understand, the reason I said let's keep it focused in on sports is because I do this every day in my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. I work this stuff out and still haven't found a way to change. I haven't figured out a way to make a 12,000 yard a day workout one in the morning and one at night, and every other day waits in between, two hours who waits in between. I haven't found any way to retro-integrate that philosophically into what that training routine feels like. So jumping forward, the, these uh, great athletes today, I think, are all looking for a way to increase their performance and also find less pain. That's just what I'm going to call it. <laughs> you know, in swimming, there's a thing in many sports, there's a thing called the main set. It's particularly well-known among swimming. There's a main set. You do a whole lot of stuff and then you get to a main set and the main set tears you up. And I refer to that as the pain set, not the main set, but the pain set, because that's where most of the pain is. So that's why I was trying to keep it around the swimming selfishly, because that's the area where I think a lot of the people listening might find it highly applicable. Now, having said all that, Sure. Let's open it up to life. You know, you and I have talked a little bit about this, and I think everybody is going to have a different relationship to this. 
but we've talked about this idea of being in the zone. Now, um, my understanding of being in the zone, my experience myself of being in the zone, and a lot of the research also bears this out, is that in that moment, what do we mean by the zone? We mean a moment in life. And by the way, th this could be in sports. It could be, you know, women in childbirth, you know, report similar things. Soldiers in combat report similar things where somehow, and it seems to be very much associated with very, very high physical or sometimes even mental demands that the sense of separateness, like of a me, a separate me performing an activity, those lines seem to blur. It's like you merge with the activity itself. I think this is a really important distinction because in those moments where I, as a separate self, disappear and there's just the activity, just the, the flow of action and movement and breath happening, something else becomes available. Because to be, like, the, the nature of the ego is I am confined. I believe that I am the separate self, the separate body. Its very nature is lack and limitation. And so in those moments where we somehow transcend that, the common word, if you, if you look in the literature, if you talk to people that they've had this experience, the very common way that they describe it is freedom. And that's the word that becomes most relevant to me. You know? So even in that moment when you call the pain set, can we still experience freedom? You know, I, I've been practicing martial arts for many, many years, and there's a particular master He's a Russian master, interestingly enough. And his name is uh, Mikhail Rubi Rubikio. I forget. It's hard to say his name. But he said something that I've been in pursuit of this for a long time now. And I won't say I've mastered it. But it's a fascinating idea. He says, and this is a man, by the way, who can do things with his body that defies imagination, right? He says the purpose of good movement is joy. <laughs> which sounds like the opposite of what you say when you talk about the pain set. But what I'm actually offering like a possibility is can they exist simultaneously? Can we somehow go through the pain to transcend into a different state? Then that philosophy then becomes available in life where it's not always so painful. Now, life still can be painful, right? I mean, it's, you know, whether it's tax bill or an argument with your spouse or a, a pandemic, life still can be really painful. And how we find ourselves relating to those different experiences will have a lot to do with the extent to which we feel that feeling of flow and effortlessness in life. So life naturally still has its natural sine waves, if you will, at times and lows. But Absolutely. what you're suggesting is we can spend far more time at the higher highs or at the highs of that sine wave more time there and even recover faster. I want to make a slight correction to that because from the experience of life as a sine wave, I get the highs and lows. But I'm not suggesting, because it's not really possible to stay on the top of a sine wave. That's just, you know, physics doesn't allow for that. But it's almost transcending the highs and lows themselves and having a different perspective on both of them. Again, it's like the distinction is between ego versus who we really are, what I would call true nature. Now, these are complicated subject matters, ego versus true nature. Do you want to just 
for the sake of the audience, just you want to dive without, into that with, with, well, not dives a little too much, I think, because it's okay. a complex subject. Let me it's give a you a metaphor. Well, let me just say it's a subject uh, best handled by you on a in a one on one situation I with agree. your client, right? So keep it keep it make it if you could clear, but keep it sort of high level. Sure. <laughs> let me give you a metaphor that that tends to make sense most of the time for people. Think of it like a movie. All right. So we all love to go to the movies, and you know whether it's a horror movie, a love story, a comedy, if you could think of it this way, you've got the movie screen over here and the movie showing on that screen. On that screen, like let's say it's a war movie, okay? And let's say there's an enormous explosion in the movie. Is the screen affected in any way by that explosion? Uh, no. No, of course not, right? I mean, whatever happens in the movie, excuse me, the screen itself is not affected. What we want to begin to look at when we talk about this, a very simple distinction between true nature and ego is the ego is like the movie. The ego is the stuff that happens in our life and our opinions about it, how we feel about it, all that kind of stuff from moment to moment to moment. Now, here's where we get caught up. We become identified as the movie. We think we are the movie. And so we then judge our life from moment to moment by how we're, what's happening. You know, if I have a good day on the field, then life is good. If I don't make my goals or if I, whatever, then life sucks. Now I'm going to alter just to offer just a slightly different perspective. What if for a moment, instead of being the movie, we were the screen? If we could imagine ourselves to be the space in which all of our experience occurred unaffected by the experience, but just the space. And the nature of that space is peace. The nature of that space is inclusion. I'm going to jump in here real quick because, again, we've yeah. chatted about this. I love these concepts. Believe me, I, I love the idea. But what immediately occurs to me, and we had this discussion too, is I'm going to move back toward the athlete. Mm -hmm. In real life, I get this. I've said that. I won't say it again, so I'm not overly redundant here. So I get it on the outside of sports side, uh, sports life. But on this inside the sports life, our identity is the athlete. That's it. We identify as the athlete. So if we move into a place of that kind of peace and joy. I don't know where we get the drive to chase that's, higher that's levels. That's the experiment. That's what I'm talking about. It's, <clears> and it's again, it's this is why we said earlier why I suggested that we try this on in life first and you agreed to that experiment you know, <laughs> uh, that that we try it on we begin and it does it takes time because there's this thing called conditioning and we are very conditioned to see life from the perspective of the ego from the separate self from contraction from separation it's not as hard as you think to, to create even what i call a glimpse of wholeness or oneness and when we begin to see that it just almost instantly begins to shift our perspective. We begin to hold a little less tightly onto this idea of a me. One of the things that I'm suggesting here is if we really at the end of the day find out that the most effective formula for sports is to maintain that intense, narrow, me, me, me focus, okay, good, then keep that on the field. But if you can't release that even a little bit when you get off the field, then it's going to lead to a lot of pressure, a lot of tension, and a lot of suffering, honestly, that maybe is unnecessary. So I have a, I have a belief, like a possible belief, 
that it will actually increase effectiveness on the field or some combination of the two, possibly. Because I don't think it's digital. I don't think it's one or the other. I think you can have a sense of that open flow state and the focus at the same time. Okay, what's the work? What's the work that, that gets you here? Give me a, yeah, an idea yeah. without getting too, too deep. Give me an example of how this dance is, yes, is yes, yes. approached, the approach to so, this dance. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways. And again, like you said, to, to a large extent, that is best happens on a one-on-one basis because everybody has a unique makeup in here. And it's my job then as a coach to get a read on them so that I can give them the most tailor-made call it an exercise, to, uh, to most effectively see what we're talking about. But let's do some general ones that, that are proven to be fairly effective. One of the most effective ways into this state, into this flow state, is breath. Nobody you know, that's in any competitive sport doesn't understand breath from some perspective. I come from the martial arts perspective where they, they've you know, been refining the idea of breath for a thousand years or so. So there's a couple of simple ones here. Let's talk about tension in the body and the, the tension that is almost unconscious to us. But even as we're sitting here, or as members of your audience are doing whatever they're doing, maybe you could just notice areas in your body right now that feel tense. And by the way, they don't have to hurt. You might just notice that there's a little bit of tension there. The shoulder might be up, something like that, that doesn't need to be there. I wish I hadn't done that because now I'm noticing everywhere where I'm a little right. dancer. Well, it's okay because there's, there's, there's a part two to this. That's, that's the cost of these games. The cost of awareness is that you're going to have to recognize your discomfort in order to transcend it. Okay? So I apologize in advance for those of you who have to notice something that you've been comfortably unconscious of before. I want you to notice before we get to the breath that in that tension, wherever you noticed it, and to Craig, we'll take you as an example. I want you to see if you can tell in that tension, can you feel that there's like energy bound up in that tension? Is that a question? Yes. The answer is yes, yeah. Okay, good. Exactly yeah. what we're going for. Oh, we're getting a lesson right now, folks. Yeah, we sure are. This is a pretty simple exercise, and it deals with energy. So this may seem a little esoteric or woo-woo, but you know, you got to understand you know, we are first and foremost energetic beings. There's energy that flows through us. The, our, the cells of our body create energy. This is not, you know, this is science. It's not esoteric stuff. So I want you to imagine, Craig, as you breathe in, I want you to imagine that with that breath, you are filling your body with energy, okay? The best way to do this is in the nose and out the mouth. And then I want you to notice that those areas of tension, just pick one, maybe your shoulders or whatever it may be. When you breathe in, fill that your body with energy, that those areas of tension may feel somehow resistant to that energy. Like they don't quite fill like the rest of you does. Can you get that sense? I generally don't have, I've done so much of this work that when I fall into this work, like, like we're imagining right now, I mm -hmm. tend to go pretty well with it. I tend to gel pretty yeah. well with it. So the release yeah. comes, the energy comes in, and I can get into the right space that we're talking about. But continue talking about it. Let's just keep going. So yeah. what you want to imagine is that you're breathing in, and you feel that energy fill your system. And, and one way to do it is even before you look for the tension, you notice that when you breathe in like that, that there's certain areas of the energy just doesn't feel like it can penetrate as effectively. So you just take a breath and you notice that in the nose, out the mouth. And then on the second breath, allow, just like make a conscious intention to release that tension and allow the energy to flow through that area. So it's a pretty simple exercise. But if you practice this with a little bit of diligence, 
and I know you and your audience are a very diligent crowd, you practice this a little bit, and you find that that tension begins to melt. And in the melting of that tension, you begin to feel a little more sense of flow, a little bit more present. And the, as we feel more present, that sense of ego, that sense of separation begins to dissolve just a little bit. Now, this sounds a little bit like if I read a handful of books on meditation, uh, that I might get these same basic techniques out of such a book. Am, am I on the right track here? Or is there something different about this? Meditation, like I say, martial arts, yoga, tai chi, all of these different, you know, they all have different approaches that use the breath. That's why I brought this in, because this is, this is pretty universal. And we're learning to use the breath as a tool, not when we're under pressure, or in a competitive environment, but learning how to relax and open, you know, that sense of contraction, not just of the muscle, but of ourselves. Again, the ego is, itself is a state of contraction. So to begin to open up a little bit more into that state of, state of peacefulness, just I'm going to suggest, you know, that is the most practical thing that we can do is to begin to relax into a state of more spaciousness and to allow that freedom that that creates to translate into movement. I know this individual's name shall remain nameless. You've worked with some the highest level athletes, highest, if I said the name, everybody listening would know the names. With this particular individual who is at the highest level of sports, whose name is world famous, how have your techniques, to the extent you've worked with this individual, helped that individual achieve these stages that uh, you're talking about? And if we were to speak to him, he would say enormously. And it was an experiment for him, by the way. I mean, we could say this much. Again, we're not going to mention names just because on the half of, behalf of discretion, but we're talking about a, a player in the NFL. My receiving a call at halftime for an enormous game, like one of those make or break games, and literally just going through a few of these type of exercises. Not that he didn't know to do them on his own because we'd already taught them, but to just have someone to take him through them and to hold that space for him allowed him to get back into that place of peace and clarity. He had, as it turned out, one of the best games of his life. Now, I'm not saying, yes, A caused B. I'm saying you can begin to infer a potential relationship well, it's fair to say that, I think, because he, A, caused B after he did your work. I mean, the precise purpose of doing that work was to get to that place. Of, he's had lots of good games in his life before he met me. Do I believe that, that it had an impact on his game? And would he agree with me? Yes, I, I think he would agree. What we did on that moment on the sidelines of the field at halftime, there were two things, right? One of them was an exercise or two similar to what we just did. You know, the breath is very, very powerful when used effectively to calm both the body and the mind because there's no real separation between the body and mind. That's purely artificial. We use the techniques of breath and, and things like that frequently. But the other was in the conversation to help him for a moment get a glimpse of who he was because, yes, when he first called, there was that state of intensity. Now, this is an interesting distinction. It's because it's only because we've been working together long enough at that point that he had the distinction between the tension of that very narrow, goal-directed, ego-based focus 
And the other possibility that I'm offering here, which we can call, again, true self, true nature, consciousness, flow, the zone, all the same thing to me. And he was literally saying to me, I got to get back in the zone. All right. He was feeling the pressure and he didn't want that. And by the way, okay, to go back to what's the difference between before and after we started working together, all of the work, like all of his accomplishments to that point had been from the place of pressure, had been from driving himself harder than anybody else, had been the guy that stayed on the field, you know, running sprints after everybody else went home. So there's no substitute for hard work. But at the same time, he felt like it was inside. It was killing him. He had lost his joy for the game. He had lost his joy for life to some large extent. And when he found that joy again, not only did it create a more effective player on the field, and by the way, not only did it create him being more effective on the field, but he had a little bit of a reputation of being a bad guy, you know, difficult with the media, you know, causing trouble, stuff like that. And even that stuff started to evolve you know and when it, it became obvious to, to many people again i'll say it and and this is an experiment for people who don't you know who only know one way this is an experiment but i'm going to say it succinctly there is nothing more practical than knowing who you are and to operate from that space Okay? When you can begin to play from the zone, it's like suddenly you don't even realize that the parking brake has been on the whole time. So athletes tend to know who they are. They know who they are. It's, again, a very one-dimensional thing when you're an athlete, whether you're catching a ball, scoring goals, swimming down the pool or what. It sounds like what you're suggesting can create a more multi-dimensional, emotion-filled, aware athlete and state of mind than they have previously known. Am I on the right path here? But let, me, let me answer it this way. When you said a moment ago, athletes already know who they are. We're talking as about it. athletes. So when I say who you are, I want you to think of those words as capitalized, okay? Like who you really are. Athlete is a role that we play. Now, it may be at some points in our life, a central role, a pivotal role in our identity as an ego, as a role that we play. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that you have to give that up or let it go or anything. I'm suggesting that you know that as a role, not as your identity. It doesn't have to be 100%, like we said in the beginning. Even glimpses of this expansion into the true nature, the true self, gives you access to a level of freedom, peace, clarity that you can bring back into that role. Like I said before, they're not exclusive of each other. I'm suggesting that we can play our game and live our life at a higher level of flow, at a greater level of peace and awareness and happiness and joy. It's not all about the pain. Like if it's just pain, 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 and then maybe, because let's be honest, everyone doesn't get the goal or wins the race. No, but it is true. It is true that I dare say overwhelmingly and almost 100% short of disappointments, because you're right, they happen. But even with disappointments, athletes get into the sport that they're in because there's, there's joy in the totality of the sport, if not in training, the totality of it, right? There were exceptions to that. There were periods where I did have small amounts of joy for short periods of time. But by and large, my sport was a painful sport, but I had tremendous joy. I liked to compete 
and I like to win. I like high-level competition. I like being in the club too. There was some ego satisfaction and being on the same teams, having the same coach. So there was joy there for me. I don't want to suggest that the only joy comes from how well you train. It doesn't. But so much of the time is spent in training that uh, it tends to dominate how you talk about a sport, not necessarily feel. So you mentioned that we can practice in life, which I think is a great testing ground for this mm-hmm. and a hard testing ground. In fact, because life is so much more dimensional than I think being an athlete may be a harder training ground. The nice thing about sports and training, especially in that regard, is you are limiting your variables to a large extent. When you're in the pool, I'll give you a silly example, right? But you know, when you're in the pool swimming or practicing whatever sport, you're not arguing with your wife, right? Or you're not dealing with the day-to-day crap that people have to deal with. So you get to give all your attention to one thing for a little while. And so I'm sure for many of us, and myself included when I'm you know, training, is that's a, an escape. It's a, it's a chance to not have to deal with life and all the crazy stuff that happens. In, in that regard, you know, I think it's a very interesting, you know, conclusion or insight that you're, that you're beginning to touch on. Maybe it's easier in sport to achieve this. We could still play with it in life. People have whatever they call it, meditation practices. You can take little moments, little oases from life to begin to practice. The oases for me, by the way, I've never been one of these sitting, in, you know, and meditate for an hour and a half a day. I prefer to bring my meditation into life. If I can get one conscious breath you know, in a conversation where for a moment I just drop the tension, I call that a win. So I begin to bring these practices into my life, into my experience. There's an old saying that we are what we are. And as you say, you gave an example where that's a win, where you try to bring this exercise into, let's say, a conversation, a group, get together, whatever, and you're practicing this in a group. How difficult is it to become that instead of I am who I am and I have to always access this this thinking. To what extent is it something that becomes a product in my toolkit that I've got to pull out and use in a given situation versus just natural integration where it's always there? Again, I'm going to make a slight distinction, but you're asking a really important question. What if we flip that for a moment? In other words, what if who you are, like when I talk about true self, is the most natural thing that you could be? And that this other identity that we create is the false one, if you will. I'm not saying it doesn't have a purpose, but it's not the truth of who we are. The only reason that it seems difficult or like, you know, that you're asking, how do we get more of the other is because the conditioning that we've been receiving since we're a baby has convinced us that who we are, like you said, I am who I am. That would start with just questioning that. I mean, like I said, there are two parts to this work. One are exercises and breathing and all this kind of stuff. But another part is going to come in what I call inquiry or self-inquiry, where we begin to question the beliefs, some of our long-standing beliefs about who we are. Like we said earlier, you know, when I, I brought your attention to the tension, you must have said, thanks a lot. Well, <laughs> there may be a similar experience with questioning some of our long-held beliefs about who we are as an identity. It's dangerous for some people to question those because they think that their whole mode of performance or whatever it is, achievement, is tied to this self-image that they may have. Listen, I'm not here to rip that self-image like from your clawing fingers. You know what I mean? This is a conversation for people who are ready for it. 
right, you've already said who it's for, but let's expound just a little bit. Who yeah. is the person that's right. ideal for this? Because you're right. If you try to tear away the ego from someone who is too connected with it, even though they see the value of your work, you could have a major breakdown. Of you, it's the, not a healthy thing to do. Yeah. yeah. A major breakdown of the yeah. individual. In this case, let's say the athlete. We can't do that. Now we've lost Man. the athlete altogether. Who's the person, who are the people that are most ready for this? That's a great question. Well, one level of that question would be, or answer to that question would be that you feel a resonance with this. You know, when I first came across this understanding I resisted it. It didn't feel right to me. Now, it wasn't like, you know, stay back at all costs, but there was some resistance to it. But the longer I sat with it, I began to feel something like there was this like an echo in all of us, no matter how identified we become with the ego, there's always an echo of this true self that is present. And for me, I was ready. I could hear something like there was a resonance that just said to me, look a little deeper, look a little deeper. And next thing I know, it had become practically an obsession where I spend hours and hours of my time exploring this. doesn't have to be that way for everyone, but that was my calling. But the answer to your question is on one level is almost like you'll just know. You'll just know. There's a curiosity about this conversation that has you go, hmm, maybe. And it might even be a scary thing. Like, well, gosh, it scares me to think about what that might mean. And yet, I'm curious. So that's one answer. I'll give you another answer. In some cases, they've exhausted the purely identity-based route, meaning, I'll give you an example. I'll tell you a story. Many years ago, actually, before I was really very well understood, before I understood this approach very well, I used to be a holistic chiropractor. I know you know that already. I had a man come to see me. I still remember his name. His name was Leon, who Leon was a very, very successful real estate developer in New York City. And by very successful, I mean that he was worth high eight figures, like literally 80 million bucks or something like that. And he had all the, the trappings that come along with that kind of um, success, meaning the, uh, the garage full of fancy cars and the $10 million home and the trophy wife and the kids in private school and the private plane, all of this, the emblems of success. And he was a hard driving, like he was like an athlete, you know, I mean, he was driven every single day. And he came into me, I had to stay open late for him, I remember because he couldn't get to me until like eight o'clock because he was working all day. He went on for probably eight or nine minutes on and on and on about how he was, he had everything that he thought he was supposed to have that he'd worked so hard for. And he was still miserable. People didn't understand him and he, could, and he seemed to have plateaued in his business and his kids didn't listen to him and just he went on and on. And after about literally eight or nine minutes of him just talking nonstop, I put up my hand and I said, Leon, what if you could have everything that you've worked so hard for in your life and still have peace in your heart? And Leon teared up. And I got to tell you, Leon was not a man who cried, right? Leon was a man who made other people cry. What seemed to touch him, what seemed to move him, was that he was sure that the two were mutually exclusive. Like he had gone down a path of success and achievement and driving, and that there was no peace on that path. And he was a person who had reached the pinnacle, so to speak, but he felt like that this can't be all there is, right? I've achieved everything I thought I wanted, and I'm still miserable. What's wrong here? 
What if you win the gold medal and you have that moment on the platform where you're at the life can't get any better. And then the next morning you wake up and you say, I'm the same me. I'm miserable again, right? That's what becomes possible here. Sadly, I'll have to admit, because I didn't have the tools that I have now, this is 15 or 17 years ago, that I wasn't able to support Leon the way I could now support people like this player in the, in the NFL. I'll never forget this story. It's really an answer to your question, Craig, that one of the ways in which people can tell if they're ready for this type of conversation is that maybe they've achieved everything they thought they were supposed to achieve, and they're still not happy. Where does the happiness come from if not from your achievements? And that's a question that I would love to explore. You can see why we have to put ourselves in check here because this just opens up one door that leads to another door and all kinds of doors here. And they're all worthwhile. They're all worth exploring. They're all fascinating doors. And this is the guy to do it with. Fred, if there's anything you want to add here, I know you're a busy guy and you got clients lined up and you, you made special time just for me today. And I want to thank you once again for taking that time. But is there anything else you would add here before I get to how people can contact you? And by the way, you can reach out to me and I can put you in touch with the doctor. I'm a big believer in this stuff. It's tough work and it takes a guy like this to get you through where you are in your particular state in life, emotionally, mentally, psychically, in every possible way to figure out what's the right path for you. I think these kinds of things take guidance and handholding, which is why I don't think, can I get this out of a meditation book? Sure, you can get that stuff out of a meditation book. But I think if you're looking for deeper, longer lasting and permanent integrative results, you need a guy like Dr. Blum. It's worked so profoundly for me and I think it'll work for you too. But anything else that you would add? Just kind of um, working off what you just said, it's not my secret recipe. It's helping you find your secret recipe. Yes, yes. But I always say, you're the Buddha. You're the Buddha in the room. The Buddha does help the people find their own path and guide them with their wisdom and experience. But it requires the Buddha in the room and you're the Buddha in the room. Hey, I won't lie. Look, man, I'm doing this for 25 years. Maybe I learned a few things along the way that I can help share with you and help you to shorten your learning curve and help you get to that place. I invite your listeners to really consider that question. How can they have everything that they're striving so hard to achieve and still have peace in their hearts? Like what if both were possible? It's going to be hard to find that in a book, as you point out. I will make this offer and I make this offer freely because I want people to know that it's a risk in a sense to engage this kind of conversation. But if anybody out there wants to explore this further, like on a one-to-one personal level, I always make time in my schedule for those conversations. Reach out to me through Craig or I can leave my number on this thing. I don't care, but we'll set up a time to talk and we're not going to charge you for that time. It's just an opportunity for us to explore this a little bit further and to see really if it is the right approach for you, because it it isn't always for everyone. I'm more than willing to spend some time exploring that and seeing what's next. So you're willing to have an opening conversation. Let's, for want of the right phrase here, a free consultation of sorts so that you can determine fit, see if someone's in the right place. Because we did talk about who's ready for this. Readiness has everything to do with this. You're not going to take anybody on. You've really got to qualify people to make sure their headspace is in the right space and that the risk is very, very low. If it's in my mind, in my way of seeing it, if it's a sports related thing, because I do think there's risk there. You can't take away that central power that is the athlete. On the other hand, I think the risk is extraordinarily low and completely worth diving into if it's just about navigating life 
and figuring out where your happiness is, where your center is, where your joy is. There are a great many philosophers that talk about this joy and living within this joy. So this is not a new concept, but we've got a guy here that can bring both age-old philosophical concepts forward here with new integrative approaches to achieve these levels of joy. Doctor, it's been a total joy talking. We always love talking with you. Our conversations are so stupid that during this time we're locked indoors, we found bus benches to go sit down and talk That's at right. you know, for hours because restaurants were close. So we always have a good time. I recommend the doctor. And doctor, what's your email address? So if people want to reach out to you, they can. And I'll also put these links in the post here below. Sure. Listen, the easiest way, reach out via email, I suppose, is uh, Dr. Fred, D-R-F-R-E-D, at energyrichliving, all one word, energyrichliving.net. Dr. Fred at energyrichliving.net. Yeah. And doctor, I think I said it is D-R, not spelled out, D-R-F-R-E-D. Yeah. And, good enough. Yeah. Doctor, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hope you had a good time. I did. And we're going to have a follow-up on this thing because I'm going to have a few people that are going to reach out to me and ask some questions. And we may just have to have a follow-up and answer some complex questions. Are you good with that? I'm good with that. I mean, even in real time, if people want to ask the questions, if that's an option, that's where this really gets interesting is when people begin to apply it in their own situation as opposed to the, you know, kind of a theoretical idea. idea. That's a very interesting idea. Maybe we'll figure out how to set up a webinar where you can talk about this and take questions. Let's see how that works. Yeah. All right, brother. Okay. Listen, it's been a joy. I appreciate it. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the Who Are You podcast, brought to you by Biotropic Labs, sports performance supplements for people who move. Join us next time for another edition of the Who Are You podcast.